This is The Michael Wall Show. Michael is a speaker, author, and founder and CEO of several companies. His passion is to help families live on purpose and live with purpose. And now, here's Michael Wall. Well, welcome into The Michael Wall Show. We got a great guest lined up for you today. Boy, I hope you've had a great year, great new year. Got a great thing happening this year. You know, if you uh, have your mind right, you set your goals right, you're going to achieve success. And I can tell you, you will achieve a lot more success if you set goals than if you don't. And I want to have a conversation starting out here with a gentleman that has become a kind of a good friend. He's in the neighborhood. I rake his leaves from time to time. <laughs> I'm kidding. Tom Dorita. And he is got quite a story. He's lived quite, quite a life, interacted with a lot of people. Tom's one of those guys. Have you ever met somebody? I remember when I was growing up, you know, Tom and my dad at that time, I always used to remember my dad and. You know, we'd go somewhere. My dad would just know any, anybody, you know, hey, oh, hey, Dave, you know, good to see you. Now my kids see that in me. And uh, you're very much the same kind of on steroids. I mean, you know, everybody. And it's it's kind of a cool thing. You've built a lot of great relationships. And that's because of really a testament of who you are and your person. Big Heart Brigade is, is something that you were involved in founding with feeding thousands and thousands of people in need. So I love the well-roundedness of, of where you're at. And by the way, if you're not familiar with Tom, Tom is a lobbyist. Uh, and has been so for a long time, has a lot of connections in business and in government relations. And I wanted to just take a minute, because I know there's a lot of you out there that are listening to this show that are business owners or aspiring business owners or maybe just professionals and and executive or C-suite levels. And a lot of times there can be challenges in business and things that are held up potentially by government. Sometimes, you know, government isn't always the solution, right? It's, I believe, the small business is the solution. So let's talk a little bit, Tom, about why uh, or how, really, you got into this whole space as being a lobbyist. I know now you live in the gardens area in Florida, but how did you, you kind of get into this space? How did that happen? What's your background? What's your history? Well, I think I've got an interesting background, that's for sure. Uh, I started working when I was 12 years old in my uncle's car dealerships, cleaning toilets. So I started at the bottom of the bottom hmm. and uh, worked my way through, worked my way through college. And uh, everybody thought I'd really immediately go into the uh, automobile industry. Well, got married at 23, uh, started a family almost immediately and said to my wife one day, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal, honey, and there's a job here for Hoffman LaRoche. And she said, um, honey, did you read the ad? And I said, I did. She said, well, it says you've got to have a science background. You don't have one. I said, that doesn't bother me. I'm going to go for the interview. I've got an interview in Boston. So I went to Boston, and there were about 40 guys interviewing for this job. And they had asked me what time schedule I wanted. I said, give me the latest date you've got. This way I figured I could watch everybody else go up and talk to the guy and <laughs> yeah. see how they came down. If they came down in five minutes, I knew they were out. Yeah. So uh, I went up mm. for my interview, and the guy said to me, did you really look the ad over well? And I said, yes, I did, sir. He said, well, was there something in there that bothered you? I said, didn't bother me, but it bothered my wife that I don't have a science background. And he said, <laughs> well, we went through the interview. I'm there for like 40 minutes now, and it's quarter of six at night. And uh, he's sitting there and he said, I've got one more thing. He had a cross pen and pencil set on his desk with a big onyx base with mm. these two beautiful gold pen and pencil in there. And he said to me, uh, handed me the pens, and he said, uh, tell me the difference. They're identical, but tell me why they're different. 
And I said, I put the pens back in the holder, and I said, sir, I'm not here to tell you the difference between the pens. I'm here to sell you on me. I know you have a problem in the territory that I'm applying for. I'm the guy to fix it. Mm. Two days later, I was in New Jersey. I ended up uh, working for that company for 12 years, became associate director of marketing for Hoffman and Roach, which is a major pharmaceutical company. Yeah. And uh, they sent me to Rutgers to get some pharmacology background and did a great job with them. Yeah. But I always had that automobile thing in my mm. back of my mind. I was hired by Ford Motor Company and worked for them for about five years mm -hmm. in the Boston zone and decided that I wanted to get my own dealership. And I went after one and got a dealership in Palmer, Massachusetts and a Pontiac Saab dealership at that time. And worked through uh, basically the energy crisis back then in the 70s. Yeah, wow. Um, and decided that. That was back when people were waiting uh, in the line for gas and had the, all, right, the rations right. and all that stuff. That's right. That was a big deal. It was a really big all deal. All over the country. So you had Pontiac, yeah. which was a gas guzzler at the time, and you had Saab, which wasn't. Right. <laughs> but not that well known in the yeah. United States. Yeah. A brand. Right. I endured and uh, hmm. came to Florida in 1978. In 1978, uh, was hired by uh, a major dealership here in uh, West Palm Beach area mm -hmm. and worked there for a while. And then I did a major promotion in Florida for two dealerships owned by the same dealer. And it was the biggest hit uh, for Chrysler Corporation. Won a trip to Hawaii, yep. and uh, we're there, and I'm playing tennis with uh, another dealer. And he said to me, hey, listen, uh, that, that program you put on was just phenomenal. You won this award. Uh, I'd like to have you come to Texas. And I said, well, I'm pretty happy where I'm at. And he made an offer that I couldn't refuse. Mm. Went to Texas and ended up owning a couple of dealerships in Texas, mm. one in Austin, one in Houston, and then came back to Florida. And I always kept a house mm. here in Palm Beach Gardens. Mm -hmm. Came back to Florida and uh, took over a, a major operation that was in trouble. Mm -hmm. And we built it to 19 franchises. Then I decided to move on on my own and started. Now, now where were you age wise around then? I was probably in my early 40s. Yeah. Okay. You know, and one of the things I want to kind of just rewind a minute because there was something that you said there on your first job when you were 23, went in, didn't have a science background. I really like this, and I wanted to kind of press pause on that for the listeners because, you know, sometimes in life we're in a place where we think, okay, I, you know, you get your degree, you do your thing, maybe you don't have a degree, I don't have a degree, but, you know, you find out what you want to do in life and you go down that road and you say, is this really what I want? I don't know. Obviously, you've had a lot of different diverse jobs and opportunities, right? But one of the things that I, I love is you understood at a young age of 23 the importance of positioning and positive thinking, right? And by positioning, I, I say that to say, uh, here you were going to get your interview, and you knew in the beginning that you didn't want to be first. <laughs> you, know, you wanted to be the, the guy last in that, in that space. Now, sometimes it pays to be first, but in that particular situation, it's good to be last, watch everybody else. And then the other thing is, is you uh, took the initiative... And I remember what Zig Ziglar used to say when people go for interviews, you know, he would say at the end of the interview, younger person being interviewed to say, hey, you know, the good news is I can either start tomorrow or next Monday. What's better for you? Right. Mm -hmm. And so there you were with the question about the cross pens. And instead of engaging into that conversation, which really was fruitless, which you knew, you said, hey, look, you got a problem. Let's get back to the reality of why I'm here and I can help you fix that. 
And and I want to challenge you as listeners out there. I'm pressing pause on Tom, but I want to challenge you as listeners out there, whether you're uh, a C-level already or a professional or a great business owner already. Sometimes we have these ideas that we feel like, you know what, we want to go do something else and change the world, but we're scared. And I'm going to challenge you to make the effort to say, you know what, if you believe it can be done, chances are it can be done. And you took the initiative, you went after it, you went into a field that you had uh, no prior training to. They paid for your additional training, and ultimately it was a successful thing. So I wanted to press pause on that. So now we are back to early 40s dealerships back in Florida, keeping a house in Florida, in Texas, back here. And then where does the story go from there? Well, I was always, uh, I got appointed by the uh, AIADA, which is the Inter- American International Auto Dealers Association, or your foreign car dealers. Mm, okay. And I was appointed to be the southeastern lobbyist for them. This was a volunteer position. It wasn't a paid position. So that's kind of how you ventured into the space. Into the lobbying, yes. Okay, got it. And uh, did that for several years and became the number one, matter of fact, it was called the Minuteman Award, hmm. came number one um, lobbyist for the Auto Dealers Association. <laughs> and in 1987, uh, which was a great thrill for me, I was named the uh, Southeastern Dealer of the Year by Time Award. Wow. And uh, that was a big deal. Yeah. But I had this lobbying Washington doing that, and I've always loved politics. Mm, okay. So, is it, by the way, just quick question there. Is there anything that started your love for politics? Was it your family, parents, or just, you know, you just kind of enthralled by it? Well, it really did start with my dad. Okay. Uh, I was seven months old when my dad got drafted, and my sister was three. Mm-hmm. My dad got hit in uh, Normandy Beach mm-hmm. and was in a hospital in France for three years. Wow. By the time he came home, I was seven years old. Yeah. And my dad had me selling poppies on the side of the street mm-hmm. for the veterans, and I really loved the issues with the veterans and getting him involved with the veterans' hospital and injuries that he had and i found out that it was such a devastating thing Mm. that you really couldn't win you had to have some advocate to go out there and do it Mm -hmm. so that's basically way back Mm. when that i enjoyed the advocacy about Mm -hmm. getting something done that was positive Mm -hmm. and as that evolved i was able to do it with the auto industry Mm -hmm. did very very well with it and then in 1998 I sold my dealerships to a public company. Okay. And I figured this is it. It's retirement. <laughs> uh, I got a lot of stock, and I had to wait two years for the stock to uh, yep. finish up. And yep. they went bankrupt in 17 months. Oh, man. So I took a major hit, but I owned my properties. Yeah. And at that yeah. point in time, mm-hmm. I was running some campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, it was Congressman Mark Foley's campaign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, he said to me, listen, you develop great relationships. Why don't you take that lobbying you did with AIADA and put it into your own company? And I did. I started it in 1998. Wow. And here we are today, uh, 20 years later or so, and have had some really great things to look back at to say I was involved in doing this, this, and this. And especially here in Palm Beach County, I've got some great projects that are either finished or could be finished that are nationally known. Um, And that was... All because I was able to do relationship building to show that you can work in a lobbying capacity and not be on one side of the aisle or the other. You have to be on both sides of the aisle. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, my perspective, okay, before I met Tom, my perspective of lobbyists were, oh, these guys are idiots. They're just money hungry. They're the wrong. And I'm not saying there aren't people out there like that, right? 
Uh, but Tom has kind of really helped me change my perspective of the importance of having that right, we'll call it segue, in an appropriate manner. But one of the other things that stood out to me just in your conversation of work is the idea, you know, talking about starting when you were young, your dad coming back from the war, all of these things, you know, working at 12 at dealerships. And it makes me think, Tom, of that, that old thought and quote, and that is that champions are not made on feather beds, right? And we live in a world today where it's too soft for people. They don't know what real work is. They don't know what hard work is. They don't know what hardship is. They don't know how to grind and, and, and kind of be all in. And I think there's some huge value to that. Uh, and I'm going to get in just a minute. By the way, again, we're talking with Tom Dorita. He is uh, a lobbyist. He's been involved in a variety of different businesses throughout the years. Uh, very well known in his space and become a good friend here in the Florida area. And we're talking to him about we're going to move and talk about government and politics and when and some of the transition there. But I want to take a minute real quick and talk about the Big Heart Brigade, because that's something that you were involved in and in kind of founding a long time ago. And I just kind of wanted to take a quick minute and a half and share, what is that, number one? It's a great, great tool that's adding a lot of value to people. But what is it, number one? And number two, why did you decide to kind of start that? It was kind of interesting. Uh, behind one of the dealerships, I had about 30 acres of property. And my son came to me one day, and uh, he was about 20 at the time. And he was a fireman in Palm Beach Gardens, but he worked for me on part-time. He said, Dad, somebody's stealing from the detail shop, they're stealing water. They've got the hose all the way out in the back. You've got to do something about it. And I said, David, get a Jeep and let's go out in the back and see what it is. And we got out there and I was stunned hmm. that there were seven or eight camps. They were mostly Vietnam veterans wow. with their families. They wow. had built these little huts and I was just shocked. We yeah. met some of them hmm. and they asked if they could stay and I looked at my son and my son looked at me and he said, dad, what should we do? I said, you go to Kmart and you buy 50 towels and 50 bars of soap and toothbrushes and everything and leave them at the back of the building and let's see if they take them. And mm -hmm. then we know that we're going to try to help them. Mm -hmm. He said, dad, I don't think that's enough. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Thanksgiving's two weeks. These people need a meal. We need to do that for them. Wow. So I said, well, you're so brave. You call your mother. <laughs> and you tell her that we're not having Thanksgiving at home and we're going to cook for these 17 families. Wow. We put up a tent and we went and bought a big grill. And you know what my new grills look like, yeah. but we bought a big grill. And uh, here we are trying to cook for what we thought was going to be 17 families. And we put this tent on the side of the road and 200 people show up. Oh, my goodness. That didn't have meals. Yeah. So we then decided that we wanted to start something that would help people like this. And we started the Big Heart Brigade hmm. with the theme of coming to the rescue. Mm -hmm. So we started it. 26 years later, we're 2 million meals. Wow. We've gone all over the place with this. We have sent meals by plane to people. Hmm. But we normally take care of South Florida mm -hmm. uh, as far as Key West, all the way to the Indian reservations, mm -hmm. and all the way up to St. Lucie County. So we've done an amazing job. Uh, 26 years, I'm... You know, I don't eat turkey, by the way. <laughs> right. I want you to know that. I can't even look at a turkey. But it's been a very invigorating thing to be mm. able to do this. And without the support of my family, I would never have been able to do that. I mean, to tell your wife you're not having Thanksgiving at home and you're going to cook for some people that nobody knows who they are, right. that makes a, a marriage last. Yeah. And matter of fact, this month mm. will be our 53rd wedding anniversary. Wow. 
Congratulations. That, that is impressive. That's that's amazing. And that took a lot of politicking, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot of, exactly. You know, it's interesting. And, and on that note, I wanted the time to share that because a lot of times, and there's a lot of different things that we're kind of hitting on in this interview. So you're going to have to go back and re-listen because a lot, of, a lot of great nuggets coming out here. But, you know, a lot of times in life, you are where you are because of a series of choices and decisions that you've made. And sometimes we can get enthralled by all of the need out there, right, overseas or in other countries and other places, which are, by the way, great. There's nothing wrong with helping out with that. But oftentimes the reason that some of the need locally in your particular area is not taken care of is because you're not doing it. So instead of focusing on out there all the time, focus on where you are. And that's exactly what you're talking about with the Big Heart Brigade, which I love. All right, let's move in. We just have a few minutes left, but I want to take a moment and talk about your perspective. And we could talk about this for hours probably, but how the politics have changed and for the benefit and disadvantage, quote unquote, of business. You know, unfortunately, I think we're, we're, living, in a, we're living in a society where people, not everyone, but some people are starting to forget Uh, the engine, the machine behind where America was founded. And it isn't from government. It's from small businesses. And it's from businesses in general growing and succeeding. And and we are the most generous country in the world. When people have the opportunity to give and do, they do a lot of times. There are some out there that are bad apples. That's going to be with everything. But Tom, what's your perspective of how government's changed and kind of hindered business as opposed to help business or vice versa from your perspective of going through the years of working with government officials and businesses in general, where we see it before and where we are now? Well, I think you have to listen to what you just said. I think today you have to stop Mm. and you have to take a look at where we've come from. Mm -hmm. And when you look at all the new millennials that are coming into the political arena and you see what's going on in Washington. That's not just happening in Washington. That's happening in every state. Mm -hmm. And we're moving this needle very, very far to one side or the other. And I've always believed that you have to be able to make effective change in government and that the small business person is, is in fact, one of the most important wheels we have, or cogs in the wheel. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that keep the country going. And we have regulated the small business person out of business in most cases. Mm. So a lot of that is starting to change, and uh, we've got to loosen up some regulations so that you can get a small business up and running. And, you know, it takes two to five years before a small business could be profitable, so they need to have some type of incentive to keep going. But I'm looking at things now and I'm saying to myself, why have we got so much dysfunction within government? Why do we have two sides of government who can't get along? And I go back to the 70s, the the late 60s, when when I was in college, I was able to do an internship with Tip O'Neill's group. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a man who would say to you, it's not about being a Democrat or a Republican. It's about taking care of the constituency that you work for right he crossed the aisle he was able to do that today we have so much dysfunction and we have so much hatred Mm -hmm. that i think it gets in the way of running the country right now the country's at a standstill Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to talk to either side and nobody wants to listen everybody has their own ideas and their own way of trying to get something done and yet where is the country today it's in a standstill how do we get around this? I think we need to stop. 
We need to look at our backgrounds. We need to look at why why have so many things changed? Why do they want to take God out of everything? Mm-hmm. Why do they mm-hmm. want to say that uh, you know our country isn't the free country it should have been? I don't want to be confused in this in this realm. I want to be able to go forward and say we want our businesses to survive. Mm-hmm. We want the people to be taken care of. I'm reading something yesterday where they just uh, put $14 billion in money to go outside the United States for other nations. Yeah. Well, that $14 billion should be put toward the people that we already serve yeah. in our own country. Yeah. I want to. And take- a lot of that money that we send out is borrowed to send it out anyway. Sure it is. Which doesn't make any sense. No. Yep, the yeah. trillions and trillions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, your desk isn't big enough to put those numbers down on. It. Right. Um, so it, it scares me a little bit that we are moving so far to one direction and not the other. Mm-hmm. There's a middle road that works. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have to be able to identify it and you have to be able to work in it and have good dialogue and conversation. That stops today. And, and that I just don't understand that. So, Tom, I want to ask you this question, you know, in relation to politics, you talked about the fact that there is a middle road and, you know, unfortunately, we're being pushed to the aisle, both sides, right, left, whatever. And they're extreme positions that get nothing done. They just they just kind of banter for their position. They march for their position, which makes me nuts. I'm thinking all these people that are marching and doing all this stuff, whatever, and riding and everything. Well, they're not getting a whole lot of work done or adding a lot of value to the people in their hometown, you know, while they're doing that. But. My question is this, specifically for the business owners that are listening to this show, they might be, again, maybe they own or they're high level in the business and they're running into political pause, we'll call it that. You know, they have ideas, they have things they want to do, they're trying to do the right thing. I remember, just just a kind of a little side note, I remember when we had our, uh, I started our firm in Pennsylvania down here now, you know, we're in multiple states on the uh, private wealth side and helping families with their wealth. And still doing that. Love it. But one of the things that I experienced when we had an office up there is I remember over the years, there was like a, you know, a local tax and then another local tax and then another local tax and then a county tax. And then I'm like, wait a minute, all these new taxes are coming. Where is this coming from? You know what I'm saying? Our, our business has stayed growing, whatever, but there's all these new taxes. It's like, geez, just for being in business, we got to make more money to pay these taxes. And nobody sees that as a consumer. Most people that are employees or don't that don't own a company don't write the checks, don't pay the bills, don't pay the taxes, don't see those things. So they look at, well, you're making all this money, and yet it's like, wait a minute, all these things being gone from the government. So my question is this. Somebody's in a business, and they're going and growing, and they're running into political pause. They're, they're running into political noise that's keeping them from pushing an idea out to the marketplace that's going to add value to people and change people's lives. Because that's typically why people own businesses. They have an idea. They want to solve a problem. And so the, the, the machine of small business churns and these ideas grow and they're in a place where they then have the ability to move to the next step and solve these issues and solve these problems. But there can be pause politically. Sometimes that's because there's different connections. People know someone and they don't want this person being in business to take profit from someone else they know here or whatever. But what should a business owner do if they're going down the track, and I know there's different levels of problems, but they're going down the track of growing or going in their business, but they're really running into political noise that is, we'll call it unjust or unfair. What does the business owner do? Well, I think what happens with a business owner is, number one, they're probably lacking funding for their business and start a lot of startups start up with nothing. Right. And they need to build that portfolio of money to keep going. 
But what they don't understand is they don't understand that when you get into a political situation in a community, sometimes they're afraid to reach out. The first thing they'll do, mm. no disrespect, is mm -hmm. reach out for a lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent 15 years with a major mm -hmm. law firm uh, doing lobbying for them. And one of the things that I kept recognizing is litigation doesn't solve anything mm -hmm. unless it's really at the point where you need it. So you don't want to be litigious. You want to look outside that circle and find somebody who, within your community, understands the political culture, the culture, mm -hmm. the difference between city government and county government yeah. and state government, and maybe sometimes federal government if you're looking for grants. So you need to be able to look for that person that is willing to be able to sit down with you and show you directional information on how you can solve those problems mm -hmm. that may be the least amount of money you've ever spent mm -hmm. because you're going to get something done it's very difficult when counties and cities overlap mm -hmm. and i just did a major project in west palm beach that i'm very proud of it's called drive shack mm. it's going to be right at the airport property but what we had to do is faa mm -hmm. palm beach airport authority the county, and West Palm Beach. We had to work within four municipality wow. or agencies, mm -hmm. one of them being federal with the airport. And nobody wanted to sit at the table for getting something done. So when we came into this, we were able to say, wait a minute, let's look at A, B, C, and D. Who's the property owner? Who's the lease going to be with? How are these things going to work? And what we needed was a team leader. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's what your government relations lobbyists can do. They can become part of a team, mm -hmm. but direct them in how to solve a problem. Does it always work? No, you, there are no guarantees. Right. But I'll tell you what, when you open your eyes to government and you understand the inner workings of government, you can get things done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. So the idea there is being open to the right advice, being open to getting help along the way and, uh, you know, paying for quality service. I, I remember the idea. I, I was talking with a guy uh, probably two years ago, and he said, "He said, you mean I got to pay for your your advice and your thoughts in relation to my wealth?" I said, "Yeah, you're kind of renting my brain. You know, it's it's one of the things. <laughs> one of the things that I've done is learned a lot of things, been successful in a lot of areas, and so because of that, you know, things don't come free. And likewise with political advice, and it's something that's important because, as you'd mentioned, and I've learned this over the years, as you'd mentioned, you know, you're, you're literally in a place where politics and the government." is always going to be there, right? And so as a business owner, you better understand the organizations that are regulating you in the first place. And the better you understand and embrace them, the better off your business is going to be long term. And sometimes you need a you need someone to help you navigate through that process. And that's obviously some of the things that you do. So by the way, if you have questions, you're like, man, I got a business, I got a problem, I got a question, and I need to talk with a guy like Tom. You know, he's he's doing a great job. He didn't know I was going to do this, but I wanted to do it. And if you want to reach out to him, just reach out to us at the show. You can go to michaelwalshow.com and we can get you in touch with Tom. Tom Dorita is his name. And Tom, any closing thoughts uh, that's encouraging that you want to leave to our listeners? been a great conversation about a lot of different things uh, in general, but anything you want to leave the, the listeners with? Well, I, I think I would like to leave them with this. You need to sometimes stop and take a look at the situation you're in. Hmm. Sometimes you may have made a mistake going into that situation, but you can make it better. And you need to be kind and gentle as you move forward. And remember that fighting doesn't always win. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is going to win in that fight. And a lot of times it's big government. Mm -hmm. So you have to really sit back 
and take a look at how you're progressing in your business. How is it going to be more profitable for you to gain what you don't think you have right now and be able to work through it smartly? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, Tom, thanks so much for taking a moment and joining us on the show to share these thoughts with listeners. And by the way, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love your feedback and comments wherever you listen to the show, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Podcast Attic or wherever you're tuning in. Let us know your thoughts, comments, feedback, what you enjoyed about the show, what you liked about the show. If you want to reach out to Tom again, reach out to the show there. You can go to Michael Wall Show. Dot com and we'll make sure you're in touch with him. If you have questions, I know a lot of you said, hey, where's the financial stuff? Feel free to go ahead over to leanonthewall.com. That's where our other companies can be found, leanonthewall.com, and you can get some insight and tips on how to protect, grow, and reduce taxes on your wealth. But until next time, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next show. Have a great one. 